Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, and welcome to the Assassin's Creed Lorecast. We are so excited to bring you this show. Our podcast is all about unraveling all of your favorite mysteries from the Assassin's Creed games. Each episode, we'll be talking about a different topic in the Assassin's Creed universe. From pieces of Eden, solar flares, and the Isu, to the Hidden Ones, the Order of Ancients, and of course, the Animus, we will seek to uncover it all. So join us, and maybe even take a leap of faith. Hello and welcome to the Assassin's Creed Lorecast. My name is Shelby. You might also know me as She Cup. And I am here to talk about the lore of Assassin's Creed with my wonderful co-host. So I am Austin, also known as Teacup, here to bring you the lore of Assassin's Creed. What is lore? (laughs) I don't know. The word has lost all meaning for me. We say it quite frequently. Uh, But yeah, so speaking of lore, we are talking about a topic, not a very heavy topic, not a very um, lengthy topic today, but we are heading back to England for the first time in a while, uh, and we're specifically heading to Tudor England. Is that correct? Yes, we will be heading to Tudor, England, but first we have to go to Third Crusade, England. So we're going to be covering like uh, about 300 years of history, but it kind of like steps up to it because what kind of happens in this, what's called the First Baron War, which is its historical title. And we'll get into this, but a big thing happened and that kind of sets up the Tudors for power okay which if you don't know we'll talk about this sometime the tudor family is like the family of the henry's the henry the eighth elizabeth the first you know mary the first all of these different people that's the tudor line it is not the current family that rules england and they fought a bunch of wars for that too but we'll get into that later yeah i mean arguably the most iconic of all the British rulers, I feel like they're the Tudor kings and queens are the ones that I feel like most people know the most, at least coming from an American perspective. I mean, we all know Henry VIII, obviously Elizabeth I, Mary I, who is known as Bloody Mary, but we'll get into that later. We're going to go 
earlier to start. So the first Baron War is a war that takes place in like the early 1200 CE. So this is like right around the time the Third Crusade is ending. And so right around the time that Altair is really in power and his whole crusade and stuff is happening, uh, there are different players. So I want to go through these players for you before we get into the history. So another notable thing is this isn't really a fight between the Assassins and Templars. Which I know, I've been saying that in all of these, a lot of these that we have been doing over the years, that this isn't really a fight between the Assassins and Templars. It's a fight, an infighting. Again, we have this other thing that's an infighting. So there's not really a big Templar player in this because it's not really a conflict between the Assassins and Templars, even though the Templars are involved. But our first character is obviously... Robert Fitzwalter, who is an actual historical character as well. He is a baron and noble in England. He is also an assassin, and he is responsible for starting an uprising. So this uh, this war is a war, an uprising that is fought during the reign of King John I, who is our second character. King John I, uh, you, this is another British monarch, British nobility that people really know. He is the younger brother of Richard I, Richard Lionheart, the man who led the Third Crusade. We got, he's very famous, the time of Robin Hood, lots of things going on. He is not a Templar, but they are pulling his strings. He is manipulated by them. And then we have William of Cassingham, who is the mentor master assassin, and he is at odds with Fitzwalter in this. And then we have King Louis VIII of France, uh, who secretly backs the Barons' rebellion against King John. So, any questions about any of these men? So, not a lot of Templars in this list. No. Just one who's affiliated, more so. Not actually part of the order. And we're going to talk about King John, the actual historical character of King John, the end, because he's kind of... He poses an interesting question historically for a lot of like when you're looking at English kings and everything going on. So in light of the disastrous Fourth Crusade, like the Fourth Crusade, they're all a disaster. They're all terrible. They're all ill-advised. They're all ill-conceived. But the fourth one is the worst of them all. It costs a lot of money. It doesn't produce a lot of results. And costs a lot of lives. And King John, King Richard's younger brother, is king at this point. And he also is having constant border wars with the French. The French are like, no, we actually want this. And if you all don't know your European history for this. So there's a lot of animosity between the French and the English. Because there has been back and forth between France and England forever. And... There's a lot of French intermingling in establishing England as a country. And like William the Conqueror obviously comes from France. Like there's a lot going on in there. And so there's constant back and forth on what the French think is actually their land and what England's the English are like, no, this is our land. And so this constant back and forth border war is happening. And King John is not good at repelling them. Not to mention the fact King John is at odds with the Roman Catholic Church. 
because Pope Innocent III appoints an Archbishop of Canterbury without consulting King John. Now, this is before Henry VIII, so the Church of England is still very much part of the Roman Catholic Church. But historically, the King of England has always been consulted about the appointment of the Archbishop of Canterbury. Well, Pope, when Pope Innocent appoints an Archbishop of Canterbury without consulting John, John exiles all the monks of Canterbury from England, which obviously pisses off the people and it pisses off the Pope. Well, in 1200 CE, pissing off the Pope is not a good idea. And so John actually gets excommunicated. And so the French and the Pope start working with these English nobility and they write a document called the Magna Carta, which is a very important document historically for the world, at least for Western European civilization. I mean, it literally is like what one of the like documents that historians look back on and they're like this directly led to democracy like democratic ways of ruling to emerge so the nobility the barons including Fitzwalter come up to John and they're like okay sign this and John says go to hell yeah he don't care yeah, uh, he refuses it to sign. For one, it extremely limits his power. It sets up the church as an independent entity from the crown that the Pope can then dictate. It puts a lot of power into what would become the House of Commons versus the House of Lords. It does a lot of limiting of the monarch's power and pushing it into the hands of the people. And Shelby is right. This is a basis document used for drafting democracy i mean when people are when our founding fathers in america are drafting the declaration of independence or they're drafting the constitution they're looking at the magna carta for inspiration and there are elements of the magna carta that are still clauses within british government and british law to this day yeah it is one of the oldest documents in the world right now that is still actively used so John refuses it to sign it. And for another reason, he's backed by the Templars. Of course, the Templars aren't going to want him to sign something that limits his power, and especially something that is backed by assassins. So there's other thoughts. So Fitzwalter then rallies his other nobility and starts a rebellion against the crown. And uh, he also seeks French aid. So again, this is another point of like, when the... American colonies rebel and we get the French to help. This isn't the first time that like English subjects have rebelled and then gone to England's number one enemy and said, hey, help us do this and we'll be better and we'll have better relations with you. Spoiler alert, they never have better relations. I don't know why they keep falling for it. When will they learn? They won't. So if you're French or English, this is all in good fun. Don't take offense to it, please. Um, but so he leads this rebellion and there's all kinds of bloody conflict. Uh, so Cassingham, the master assassin, he opposes Fitzwalter 
campaign stating that John is a puppet king and that they should work to extend their own influence on the English king rather than start an uprising with another country's group of people. Um, even though France at this point is a assassin safe haven, there's still a rise of Templar influence that is happening in France. And so Cassingham's proposal is like, why do we want to involve another government that might lead to more problems when we should be working to influence and remove the Templar puppets in our own government by ourselves, by the, you know, by our own ability? I mean, he makes a fair point. I can't but argue then, with that. So he backs John. He backs King John keeping him in power. Trying to do that. Uh, tension rides. This leads not only to civil war in England, but a civil war among the assassins. It ends when John I dies and his nine-year-old son, Henry III, becomes king of England. So the barons then rally behind Henry III and expel their former ally, Prince Louis, of France from England, and the conflict is over. No, it's not. The Baron War is over. But the conflict between the Templars and the Assassins continues right. until in perpetuity. So basically, you know, they're like, oh, well, John's dead and Henry III is the nine-year-old. And so we'll just get him to sign the Magna Carta and... And we'll that's fine. And that's no. Fine. And then we don't need the French anymore. So let's just get rid of the French. And that's that. A mess. That's what that is. You know, I know the big joke about like, you know, the French and English are always at odds. But I think the French sometimes have a legitimate reason to hate the English. Oh, yeah, they totally do. So do we. Right. I mean, yeah, I mean, there, there's a point of that going in there. So I want to talk about King John the first for a little bit, because he's often remembered as a weakling king. Uh, if you have ever seen any version of the Robin Hood tale, he's known as Prince John, you know, the evil ruler who, you know, puts in the sheriff of Nottingham and he's the one who's overtaxing the English and doing all of that. And he's often betrayed as this evildoer in the Robin Hood films. Are you with me, Shelby? Sure. Sure. You don't I, I can't tell you how many times I've seen Robin Hood. Oh. Not many is the answer. Well, here I did some research in like some cursory searching of the internet and Wikipedia to just kind of see like what is the historical opinion of King John the First. Kind of what what do historians say about him now? Because you know they historians often do look back at these monarchs and say like, okay, no, you were a good monarch or you were a bad monarch, like. You know, George III, most historians look back on him and even English historians and say, you weren't a good king. Like, you should have listened to your subjects and you would have avoided a bunch of stuff, you know? And so mainly history still views him as a bad king. And here are his offenses. He betrayed his brother, Richard I, while he was during this, uh, while he was on the Third Crusade trying to usurp the throne. Uh, he extorted more money from the than any English king since the Norman conquest. That's crazy. That is a crazy statistic right there. Yeah. Uh, and then he cons 
consistently lost in conflicts with the French, losing English land. And there are general, like, stories and reports and, like, historical rumors, but, like, we're bearing more weight than rumor. I don't know what to call that. Uh, Gossip? Well, not gossip, but, like, we don't know that if he was like this, but the evidence points that he was likely like this. So theorizing. Theorizing, yeah. Historical theory. All things that people do when they go to their hometowns. Right. Uh, He is, like, cruel, whiny, childish. childish. These are all reports of King John there. Um, There is a point in... English history where King John has been looked on more favorably without, I know you can look at the show notes, but don't if you haven't already. But if you have, you can guess it. What period do you think he is looked most favorably on? I think it's the one we're going to talk about after the mid break. So during the reign of King Henry VIII, John is looked more favorably on because he was a king who stood up to the Pope. Which makes sense. You know, King Henry is starting his own. He's breaking away from the Roman Catholic. Of course, he's going to try to move this other king that stood up to the Pope into the hero status. Uh, But then throughout modern history, he is still very much looked down upon as England's worst king. Mm -hmm. Do you have any thoughts before we go to the mid-break? I don't think so. But also, it surprises me zero that he is a te- he is manipulated by the Templars, if not a Templar himself. I do feel like he probably needed better advisors. That is probably true. Um, why? I think one of his big thing is when he tries to usurp the throne, like he should have had an advisor to be like, your brother is at war. Just wait. He probably is going to die over there. Just wait. Yeah. But um, people with <laughs> insane wealth and power don't really like to be told to wait or to be told no. So anyway, let's go to the mid-break. My cousin! Shoot! Shoot the flying demon! You weak fool. Get a job! Christina! Who's there? Me. Oh, it's you. I should have known. May I come in? Fine, but only for a minute. A minute is all I need. Indeed. Well, wait, uh, that came out wrong. Hello and welcome to the middle of the show. This is where we talk about all the things that have to do with the Assassin's Creed lore cast and not the lore of Assassin's Creed. So first thing I have to do is to thank all of our wonderful patrons. Thank you to anybody who's ever been a patron. Thank you to our current patrons. If you want to come on the show once a month, come and join us as a Master Assassin tier patron and you can join us for patron chats. It's amazing. It's a great value and we will basically talk about anything you want. So come join us over there. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to all of our patrons. Um, If you can't support us financially, the next best way to support us is through ratings and reviews on Spotify, Apple, wherever you can um, leave us ratings and reviews. I do have one to read today from Salmo the Fourth, who said, amazing, top-notch pod, five stars. I loved this podcast so much that I named my newborn son Assassin's Creed Lorecast. Just kidding. He was named Eagle Bearer. 
Great content and looking forward to finishing your chronological listening order. Keep up the amazing work. Thank you so much, Salmo. I'm very curious to see what the name of your son on his birth certificate is, but I think I'll be wondering about that for a long time. So anyway, um, the last thing I have to talk about is my playthrough of Assassin's Creed Valhalla. And I have played a lot this week. I just want to make it known. I have finished the London arc. I did something else minor. And now I'm in York, in Jorvik, um, starting that arc. So that's fun. I have like 200 power or something. I still have not killed any of the main like order members. Like I've unlocked two or three of them. I haven't killed any of them yet. So I have a lot of work to do. Um, Mirage comes out by the time this will go live today. Um, So I have a lot of things left to do before I can play Mirage. And I'm sad about it. I uh, might be living that single life. Uh, while Mirage is playing, we just won't see each other, so I can't spoil anything for you. Yeah. Um, do you think you can get Mirage on your computer and play it in your office, and then I can play Valhalla on the Xbox? Like, is that possible? I feel like that's what we should be doing. I mean, it is possible, but I need a better computer. You suck. I'm not paying a thousand dollars for a gaming computer just so we can do this for a week. <laughs> sorry uh, um i can wait nah, no 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 that's crazy no um no nah, i'm just gonna try to to play as much as i can and if i get spoiled a little bit i get spoiled a little bit it's okay um but no i'm enjoying valhalla like i've said in the past i forget it's assassin's creed all the time like uh, yeah i just forget because it it does it just doesn't feel like any of the other games to me. Yeah, I definitely uh, get that. Assassin's Creed Valhalla. How you can play and be like, oh yeah, I'm playing an Assassin's Creed game. But yeah, but it's been a while since I've played an Assassin's Creed game. Several months. Um, well, yeah, you've been in Starfield Hell. I think you mean Heaven. That game is amazing. Sure. I will say, one thing I will say is the only reason I'm even still playing Valhalla and like care about assassin's creed mirage at all no offense is because i don't have access to play Baldur's gate 3 yet so i'm just saying when that game comes out you may not see me for several weeks what if Dreadwolf become comes out before first gate gets released to that okay let me just say first and foremost that's not happening because the makers of Baldur's Gate 3 said they were hopeful and planning for Baldur's Gate 3 to be released to Xbox, which is what we have, like, by the end of the year, before the end of the year. There's no way in hell that Dreadwolf, Dragon Age Dreadwolf is coming out this year. Like, it's just not happening. So I don't think we have to worry about that. I had to say it. Okay. Well, that's fine. You can say it. <laughs> um. Okay. So let's get back into the show. Malaka! 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 Unless the legend is a lie, you are the man I long to meet, renowned master and mentor. It's your auditory, the la la la. Brago. Uh, forgive me. I have a hard time remembering that. 
Italian gibberish. I'll see you all at the selection ceremony, ladies. I especially hope you show up. Let me guess. He's rich. The second half of the show will go by fairly quickly because there is not a lot of information about this time period. But it's a very important time period in English history. And so, believe it or not, we are not talking about Henry VIII because once he comes into power, there's not a lot of question or working to manipulate him because Henry VIII is not a man that can be manipulated, which I think is probably the nicest thing you can say about the man. Yeah. I mean, I think that he, I do think that he cared for his children. That's, yes. Edward, Mary, and Elizabeth. I think he also had a lot of issues. Yes. A lot of issues. Um, And the many wives were not the issue. First and foremost would be the syphilis. Yes. Yes, that would be the first and foremost. So, in 1503... The one and only master assassin, charmer of Italian women, great warrior, great assassin, Ezio Auditore da Firenze. He sends a group of assassins to aid Henry VII in stopping a Templar plot. So obviously the Templars are still at work here. They're still trying to manipulate behind the scenes and do all of that. And the assassins know what's happening. And so Ezio's like, nah, fam, let's stop. Uh, No, forget that. I'm trying to kill the Pope. So I need you to uh, deal with this. And so the assassins do stop the plan by assassinating Margaret of York, who was a or leader of the Templar order. After this assassination, uh, the Templars infiltrate what's called the Star Chamber, which I had never heard of this before doing the research for this episode, but it was it's kind of like Henry's secret court. So if you're familiar with um, American history and the presidency of Andrew Jackson and that he kind of had what was called the Kitchen Cabinet, which was a group of people that he worked with outside of his established advisors in the cabinet because he hated them uh, is to put it lightly. It's kind of similar to that. So these are people that Henry keeps as a secret court who have influence who might not hold actual legitimate legal power, but have the ear of the king. So it's a big deal. So not quite advisors, but like, People who would be invited to a ball, people who, you know, you could find wandering the gardens on a Tuesday afternoon kind of thing. Correct. Uh, So Templars infiltrate this court again, trying to exert their influence over Henry VII. The assassins uh, remove all of those. And then with that effort, Henry offers the assassins a seat on his secret court. So then all of the stuff with Henry VIII, Henry VII obviously dies and his son, Henry VIII, comes into power. He doesn't like the Pope. He wants to get divorced. The Pope says no. He says, well, I'll do what I want anyway, forms his own church because and also because the Archbishop of Canterbury wanted power for himself. So he also said, "Okay, let's make our own church. They make their own church. Then he starts having a bunch of wives. None of them give him sons until the last one. He kills a lot of them. All of them. A lot of them. Um, 
he rises to power. Again, the assassins aren't that involved because Henry VIII is not a man that can be manipulated. When you stand up to the Pope, you're typically not a man who can be manipulated. So the Templars, after the death of Henry VIII, they work really hard to get Mary I on the throne. Now, English history majors will know that, or English history people will know this, but those of you who don't, Mary I, her kind of nickname throughout history is Bloody Mary. And she is hella Catholic. Like, so Catholic. And her nickname isn't just because she liked the beverage. Let's put it that way. Yes. Um, her name is Bloody Mary because she detested Protestants so much that she killed them. And a lot of them. Um, Henry VIII was known for putting spikes on head. His daughter, Mary I, makes him look like a kind gentleman you would invite to dinner. So she is unhinged. And obviously, the assassins see Mary I as a problem, as they should. And so they arrange for the assassination of Mary I. Now, this is interesting. Because they're so in with the British nobility, the nobles come to the assassins and they're like, we need you to kill her, but we meet, need you to make it look like she wasn't killed. Because she has a lot of, even though she is killing a lot of people, Catholics in England love her. They're like, yes, do more. Do more of this. So Mary I is super involved in, and she has all these supporters. So the English nobility is like, we need her gone, but we don't want to make a martyr. So the assassins poison her. They poison her food, her beverages, and her pillowcase just to be thorough to make sure that she would die. That uh, feels a little bit like overkill. Can you imagine this as an Assassin's Creed like mission? How many times do you think you would get desynchronized? Can you imagine being the person responsible for making sure all of the poison places get poisoned? I know. Exactly. I'm stressed thinking about it. Right. So obviously, as we know from actual history, Mary the first dies. And is succeeded by Elizabeth I, who would rule England and usher them into a golden age with none other than an apple of Eden. So I have a question. Mm -hmm. If Elizabeth I has an apple of Eden and Mary and Henry don't have apples of Eden, where did she get hers from? Um. I can't remember, but it is theorized that Henry VIII also had an apple of Eden. Uh, and we do kind of know historically that Henry favored Elizabeth more than Mary. Yeah. So it's possible that he passed down an apple of Eden to her and not Mary because he thought Elizabeth would uh, make a better ruler than Mary, which arguably she did historically Argu she did yeah yeah arguably um, she did but it's also possible the assassins found it and gave it to her true but also like i guess i'm just curious like what what is the bonus for the assassins in that situation like 
to give up an apple of Eden. I think this is a point to look at that and really where we start seeing the assassins by the time that the American and French revolutions happening, they're trying to be influential. They're trying to play the game on the Templar standards instead of being in the shadow. So I think they give this apple of Eden thinking to themselves like, oh, well, she's a good person and she's on our side. So she's not going to misuse it. That's that's a fair point, too. Whereas, you know, their founders and ancestors such as Bayek, such as Altair, and even their contemporaries such as Ezio at this point would be like, what the heck are you doing? Destroy mm-hmm. that thing. It should be in no one's hands. Right. Um, but I think that this kind of set up how they're involved in Tudor England and the First Baron War really sets up the point of why England is such a Templar stronghold, because the assassins are basically trying to out-Templar the Templars. And they don't do a good job at it. No. I feel. It's not, it's not what they're supposed to do. And, and it's not so, who they are. It's It's just, it's not... Like, they don't know how to play the game of being Templars because they've never been that. They need to stick to playing the game of being assassins because that's what they are good at, you know? Right. Well, that's all I got for this episode as far as content goes. Um, Again, just another kind of thing of assassins kind of fighting amongst themselves. Uh, They're kind of fighting Templars in the Tudor England. But again, like, it's not it's not like, oh, let's go against all these things like we do in the American Revolution or in Ezio's fight against the Pope. Right. Now, England's kind of a mess. Well, at least it's relatable. Right. (laughs) All right. Well, let's wrap this one up. Thank you all for listening to the Assassin's Creed Lorecast. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Assassin's Creed Lorecast. You can find us on Twitter at AC Lorecast. If you have any lore questions or topics to unpack, join our Cups Podcasting and More Discord server. It's the best place on the internet. You can also support us financially through our Patreon. Find us on patreon.com slash Assassin's Creed Lorecast. The Assassin's Creed Lorecast is part of the Robots Radio Network. For more information about the Robots Radio Network, join the Discord server via the link in our episode's description. If you enjoyed the show or learned something new today, please subscribe, leave us a review, and join the Patreon. And if you enjoyed our intro and outro music, make sure you give a big thank you to Pipe Man Studios. Thank you, Pipe Man. Thanks again for listening to the Assassin's Creed Lorecast. And always remember, Assassins, stay in the shadows to serve the light.
Hi, I'm Aaron. And I'm Ariel. And we're the hosts of the Legend of Zelda Lorecast, a podcast about all things Legend of Zelda, from Errol to Zora, and all the fun things in between. If you're ready to dive deep and learn more about the Legend of Zelda lore and everything surrounding it, come join us on Legend of Zelda Lorecast. You can find us on Apple iTunes, Spotify, Google, or wherever else you get your podcasts. We hope to see you soon.